Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. Please keep in mind that we may discuss difficult topics and that we ask that you use your own discretion when listening and that you speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lampert. Today, we are delighted to have Holly Toronto joining us to discuss body image. She'll help us explore the topic of negative body image and its impact on people's lives, and then provide some strategies for improving our relationships with our bodies, which so many people need help with. That is a fantastic topic we're so excited to dive into. A little bit about Holly. Holly is a certified master level coach who specializes in body image. She has five years of experience helping people stop prioritizing other people's expectations of beauty, belief, or behavior so that they can live their life from a place of wholeness, fully aligned with the truth of who they are. Thanks so much for being here, Holly. We're so excited to talk with you. Thank you for having me, Jillian. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, you're welcome. Let's, let's dive in. I mean, there's so much to cover when it comes to body image and body experience, but let's start by talking a bit about yours. We know that the children's thoughts about their bodies develop at a very young age. Tell us about some of the key experiences that impacted your body image when you were growing up. Oh, yeah, this is, this is such a good question. I'm so glad that we are starting here because you know this as somebody who works in the space of eating disorder and body image that like our relationships to our bodies are so complex and we start to develop an understanding of our bodies and where they sort of fit into these like social hierarchies, right? But from a very young age, around the age of like four or five years old. And our body image is formed from many different intersecting influences, right? Like things like our culture, our race, our gender, our religious upbringing, all of that plays a major role in defining how we relate to our bodies and how we see our bodies in the context of society. And so from my own personal experience, I grew up in evangelical Christianity in the height of the purity movement. So this is in the 90s and the early 2000s. And the the concept of purity culture is actually like quite new, right? Like a lot of people are now just starting to talk about the harmful impacts of of purity culture and what that did to young people's psyches and their relationship to their body and their relationship to sexuality. And so for me, from a very young age, I learned that sex was something that was reserved for only certain people, like heterosexual people in a marriage relationship. And that if I wanted sex, if I experimented with sex, anything like that, that I was sinful, that I was bad, that that was shameful. Um, I was taught not to trust my body, that any desires that I had for pleasure or sex were bad and wrong. And I should, I should hide that and I should shrink that and I should starve that part of myself. And the more that I've explored that part of my upbringing and how that related to my body image journey, I recognize, wow, that manifested itself in disordered eating from a very, very young age, you know, from like the age of eight, having a concept of wanting to lose weight, like eight years old. And we know we're seeing now that like younger and younger and younger kids are like grasping onto that concept. But yeah, for me, from around the age of eight years old, I, I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to shrink my body. And so that manifested again in disordered eating all throughout high school and into college and then later into my adult life, which eventually led me to this work. And, and I'm sure we'll probably get into that at some point, but that's where I essentially <laughs> learned how to relate to my body was through the lens of, of sexuality and, and pleasure and needing to stifle that. And then how I chose to manifest that um, and how I cared for my body. 
Absolutely, it, it underscores, I think so, so poignantly the, the messaging from the outside really starts to shift and shape our perception from the inside out. And when we get maybe a bit of a, a, a skewed set of messages or a certain set of messages or a predominant set of messages that it can be really impactful as, as kids grow up experiencing their bodies. That is, is fascinating. Let's, let's talk more about how, how did those messages stick with you and, and maybe evolve during adolescence through early adulthood. In there, I imagine there are social or professional experiences that led you to be becoming a certified health coach that specializes in body image. Tell us about that part of the, the journey for you. Yeah, absolutely. So there is. Yeah, I um so when I turned 18, I moved from my my family's home and I moved to New York City, um where I lived for 15 years. I actually just left New York at the beginning of 2021 and I decided to pursue a career in the fashion industry. So interestingly, it chose a very image-centric industry. <laughs> that is not an accident. And yeah, I I got a, a bachelor's degree in fashion merchandising management. I then went on to have a seven career in the fashion industry. And throughout that time, there was definitely still a lot of disordered eating. There was a lot of body shame. And also I was experiencing female adult acne. And so that was something that I felt like I was wearing my body image issues, like now right on my face for everyone to see. And, and acne has like this really special nuance to it. Cause it's like, it's not about losing weight necessarily, but it's about, oh my gosh, like I'm so ugly. I'm so unattractive. I'm a monster. Like I would, I would just say horrible things about the way that my skin looked. And so with that too, again, the influence of purity culture, though I had like left that behind in my, in my like teen, teenage years, I was like, that's really not my, my truth anymore. That's really not like, and I started, you know, to express my sexuality in a way that felt right for me. Those underpinnings were still very, very much alive in how I related to my body. And so around like probably 2014, 2013, 2014, I decided after having experienced acne for so many years that instead of doing these like harmful pills and chemicals that I was putting in my skin, that I was going to try to approach my healing my acne from a more like quote unquote holistic perspective. And so what that meant was I got really immersed in the pure foods movement. Right? So it switched from like purity in my sexuality to like purity in how I was eating. And I started like one of those anti-inflammatory diets. I won't name what it is, but you know, like that was supposed to be tracking what foods might've been causing my skin to break out. And I, I went on this like six week experiment with like taking out certain foods and um, it was supposed to be very temporary. It was supposed to be something that like I tried, see what happens, introduce the foods and, and then go from there. But the, the practitioner that I was working with actually never gave me a path for reentry into normal eating again, <laughs> which is a huge miss <laughs> in a lot of like these more holistic spaces. And so I ended up staying on this highly restrictive diet for about a year and a half and during that time, a few things happened. One being my skin did not clear up, <laughs> um, which is also very common from what I'm hearing and talking to other people who've experienced acne. But I did lose a lot of weight on this diet. And with that received all of the praise, all of the accolades that women in our culture receive when they're able to lose weight and keep it off. And so that's actually what inspired me to become a health coach because I got a lot of people saying to me like, oh, help me, help me. How did you do it? Right. And I was like, oh, yes, now I feel like I've done the good thing. Right. And so from that place, I started my health coaching practice, yet there was these deeper insidious things happening under the surface and in that, you know, my hair was falling out. 
and I had digestive issues and I was constantly stressed and anxious around food. Like I was the person that would socially isolate. I wouldn't go out with friends because I was worried about not being able to control the food that was there. Right. So it was like a lot of like orthorexic tendencies that were manifesting for me. And I would say like the biggest turning point happened for me in, on a trip with my husband, we were on a cruise. We were in Alaska, like the most beautiful place in the world. And we were, you know, in the middle of the ocean. I I didn't have access to any of like my superfoods, like my approved list of foods, because, you know, you're on a cruise. Like what do you do? You have midnight buffets and you have like dessert with every meal. Like that's what you do. Right. (laughs) And, but like me, I couldn't let myself do that. Right. I had to be in the gym every morning and I could only eat salads. And I had like one meal where I would let myself like have something that was delicious off the menu. And I, I was having anxiety attacks every single day that I was on this trip because I was so worried that if I was going to like fall off the wagon, right, or I was going to put on weight on this trip, and then what would that mean about me as a health coach? Would, would people take me seriously? Would I be a failure? And my husband, in, in a very loving way, had to kind of like sit me down and be like, listen, you kind of ruined this trip for me. And all honestly, and you don't seem very happy or healthy, right? Like, you know, health is also much more holistic than just your physical health, right? Like um, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, like it doesn't seem like you're doing well. And so that was a very confronting moment for me. And as Synergy would have it, I had brought one book with me on that trip. And it was a book called Intuitive Eating, which I know you all know about. Don't know who gave it to me. Don't know how it landed in my lap. I think I actually had a concept of of like intuitive eating was this thing that was going to like make me only want to eat like fruits and vegetables and like, which is like a lot of people in like the more new age spaces think about intuitive eating in that way. And, and that's what I thought it was. But then I opened up the book and I'm like, oh, (laughs) and I started to see very clearly what I've been creating for myself and potentially my clients in terms of like serious disordered eating. And so I came back from that trip. Again, this is like fast forwarding, had to do lots of work on myself, implementing these principles, which led me to the body acceptance movement. And then I completely switched the focus of my practice, recognizing like, wow, what we really need to do here is we need to help women and all people start from a place of wholeness and worth in the bodies that they live in today knowing that regardless of the size of your body, you are worthy, you are enough, you are valuable, and allow that to inspire such beautiful, nourishing self-care, which I'm sure we can talk more about that as we keep going. But yeah, that's sort of the, the heroine's journey, if you will. That's beautiful. And, and I smiled. There's so many pieces of that. I can just imagine you opening the book thinking, it's going to tell me all about how I'm just going to want fruits and vegetables and seeds and nuts. And wait a minute, I'm supposed yeah. to, it's okay that I want different things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is different. <laughs> it's like, oh, actually, I'm really disordered in my relationship. To oh. It is. It's such a, it's a beautiful example. And yes, to definitely not minimize the, the work that it takes to reorient your whole thinking. I mean, it's, it is, it's so, to your points that, you know, those things are so linked. Diet and body image are so linked and, and our thinking is so linked around if I just could look a certain way, then I'll get all the good things in the world that I think I will get, you know, based on what diet culture is selling us every time we, you know, open our phone or look at a billboard or a, a messaging somewhere. And it's it really is all about from those messaging perspectives, this this concept of, you know, here's how you can be accepted or respectable or loved or this is the right way. And it turns out it really leads so many people to feel miserable. And that can't be the, the right way, quote unquote, that just doesn't, it doesn't add up. 
and it it really is amazing. I think, and and your story sort of echoes this that the impact on taking a non-diet, more intuitive eating approach really throws us for a loop and feels pretty good, I think most people find. So what did, what did you find the impact of that approach? How did you experience your body image changing at all or your perspectives changing at all? Mm, yeah, that's such a good question. And I would say that the place that I'm in now, right, is not an overnight process. Like this has been like six years of immersion into this work, doing it on myself, doing it with my clients. Because, you know, when you first learn about intuitive eating, if you've been steeped in diet culture for potentially decades of your life, it can feel incredibly confronting. It can feel so terrifying. The idea of, of giving up dieting, giving up control, right? <laughs> like, I, I, I get so much out of that, that sense of control. And, and, and that's what really dieting gives us is that sense of like, all right, I might not be able to control 2020 or even 2021, but I can control what I put into my mouth. Right. And so like, that's so much of what, what dieting does. And, and I found for myself, when I first started this, there was a lot of, of, of like anxiety that comes with that. Like, oh, I'm really surrendering here. Like I'm really just letting my body do her thing. I'm letting my body like tell me what she wants. And yeah, sometimes that means like I'm eating like, and, and no, not sometimes. Like what that means is that I'm always eating what I want. And some, and like, that looks like pizza and that looks like cheese and that looks like rice and that looks like salmon and that looks like that. And that looks like all of the things. And so over time, as I really started to integrate this, what I found for myself is, is many things. One, kind of bringing it back around to like the sexuality piece of it. I, I started to reconnect to pleasure in a way that I had really lost for a long time because I had, you know, done like the whole plant-based vegan thing and like eating like nut cheeses and things like that. <laughs> and, and like convincing myself that that tastes just as good as like brie when like in actuality, like, no, it doesn't. Like you can't try to convince me that cashew cheese tastes like brie. Like it just doesn't. And so once I started to eat those things again, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is so pleasurable. Like this is so so much more satisfying because what we know about these like diet foods or these substitutions, right? Like they never actually end up being as satisfying as the real thing, right? And so that's when we end up going back for more and more and more. And we end up in these like what we think is like food addiction behaviors or binge like behaviors, but really it's like our body's looking for pleasure and satisfaction. Like that is built into our evolution. And so for me, like that was really, really healing to reconnect to, to pleasure with food again. In some ways, I'm like happy for that contrast, right? Of like, oh, I went really far in the other direction. And now I'm like, I get to like be so grateful that I can have such delicious access to all of the foods. And of course, like there's a lot of privilege with that too. I know, I know not everyone has access to food in that way, but I would say like that was the first thing. And then from there, I mean, this is another piece of like surrender is, is learning to trust that my body will regulate my weight in the same way that she regulates temperature and other functions in my body, because our bodies are that wise. Like our bodies know what to do when we get out of their way, our bodies will regulate. And um, sometimes what that looks like, and a lot of people don't like to hear this, is weight gain, right? Especially if you've gone through a period of restriction where you were underweight, right? And so for me, that looked like I had to put back on the weight that I had lost and really come to acceptance like, oh, okay, like this is actually my natural body. Also that my natural body will grow, continue to grow and change as I age, right? We're not meant to be in the same bodies that we were in when we were 
19 years old, 25 years old, like, or like even from like 12 years old to 16 years old, right? Because I know you work with teens too. Like our bodies are meant to grow and change. We need to normalize that. And so what intuitive eating gave me was a sense of trust in my body that I don't have to manipulate her for her to be healthy, for her to be strong, for her to be exactly where she needs to be. And it really, I, I needed to disconnect the weight from the worth and the weight from the health. Like that was such, so, so key to that process. Absolutely. That's, there's so much, so much wisdom in that. I've, I imagine that when you are working with your clients, you probably hear some of those or many of those same strains in terms of it the fears or resistance that, that struggle of the, is this really, really, you want me to do what with my eating? How do you, tell us a little bit about the fears and resistance you hear from your clients and then how do you help them to navigate those concerns? Yeah. I mean, I would say like the one that you just said was, is probably the number one <laughs> resistance that, that, that I hear is like, well, if I, if I let myself have unconditional permission to eat, if I let go of the rules, well, then my, then I'm going to gain weight. And then, and then, and, and like that, that's where they kind of stop, right? Cause they just stop with like, and then I'm going to gain weight. And I'm like, okay, yeah. Tell me more about that. Right. <laughs> Tell me more about what that means. If you were to put on weight, right. What would that mean for your relationships? What would that mean for your confidence? What would that mean for your health? What, like, what, what are you thinking that would mean? Right. And from there, it's really pulling apart all of the associations that they have with weight gain. And essentially, when we go deeper and deeper and deeper, it's worth. Right. If I were to put on weight, then I would not be lovable. My partner wouldn't want to be with me anymore, or no one would be attracted to me. And then I would be unworthy. Right. If I were to put on weight, then um, I wouldn't have confidence anymore. And then I wouldn't have the job promotion. Right. I wouldn't be able to wear the clothes that I want to wear. And so, so much of this is just story from our toxic culture that thrives off of us being in this place of constantly trying to shrink ourselves. Right. And so much of it that like that, that resistance, what we continuously come back to is a couple of things. The one, the first one being by the time a client usually works with me, um, you know, I work with women, I, I have like teenage clients, but like women, you know, late twenties all the way up until like sixties. Right. And so at this point it's like, you've done the diet culture thing for decades, right? You've, you've done the things. And the reason that you're here now is because you know that stuff doesn't work. If it worked, you wouldn't be here, right? Like you would not be here. And so can we lean into possibility that there might be another way outside of what you were told it would look like, right? Can we lean into actually trusting your body to know what she needs and to guide you when you get out of her way. And so while that resistance will, will continue to show up throughout the course of our work together, what we oftentimes will come back to is, okay, remember, remember it didn't work. <laughs> and then I'll hand them study after study after study that weight and health are not, <laughs> are not synonyms. Weight is not a good indicator of health, right? And then, <laughs> and then from there, we just work to continue to lean into trust, continue to lean into trust, continue to lean into trust. Because like in a really, when you're starting a relationship and I liken our bodies to our, to our original life partner, right? Like this body that we live in was our original life partner and like any partnership, right? Trust is the foundational element. But when you start off a new partnership or a new relationship or a new friendship, you don't like trust them right away, right? You might like, like them. You're like, oh yeah, you're cool. 
right? But you don't necessarily like trust. Trust is built over time. And so over time, we continuously build this trust until they get to a place where like, okay, like maybe I don't like the way my body looks like that. I don't think that's necessarily what body image work is, is always about is like looking in the mirror and loving what you see. But what I find more and more and more and more from my clients is that they come back to trust. I can trust her. I can trust her. Absolutely. It, it strikes me too that the trust extends to that other thing that, that we hear all the time, right? Around like, well, if I eat that, I'm just never going to stop. Like, I can't believe you're telling me I have permission to eat XYZ food because then I'll never stop eating it. And it's, it's scary. Like that feels wildly out of control. And what would happen if that were to happen? But it strikes me that trust is a, a great avenue to go down in those situations too that maybe, maybe let's play that out. Could be that you would just keep eating. I think at some point your body would step in and she would say, eh, we're done. It's okay. Or, oh, yeah. we're really done. <laughs> we're, wow, we're overdone. And how do we build that? How do we, how do we listen for those, those moments where we can trust? So it, it strikes me that it shows up so frequently in that trust theme of how can I? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, even what you're saying right there, like those experiences of eating to a point of like feeling sick and uncomfortable or like what people might experience as like binge like behaviors or food addiction or like cravings or being out of control. So much of that is actually just rooted in not trusting yourself. We know like the research shows us like when we're in a place of restriction, right? When we're in a place of like, oh, I'm not allowed to have that or like, oh, that thing is like so tempting to me, right? Like that most of that is coming from a place of restriction, right? And because we're not trusting ourselves and like that's what leads us to these really out of control, what feels like out of control behaviors around food. Absolutely. And everyone is wired a little bit differently. There might be some foods that are so much harder for people to, to lean into trust with their bodies. And that, I think the other thing that sometimes people think about with intuitive eating or those sort of principles is that like, oh, that means I should be able to eat every food and not have any concerns. And I'm just going to let my body regulate it and it'll all just be magic. And I don't think it's meant to be sort of magical thinking. There might be some foods or some experiences that are really difficult yeah. for an individual person. Yeah. And it's also trusting your body to be able to tell you which ones those are. Like, you know, yeah. that one's really pretty tricky. And maybe I can maybe I can think about how to manage that in a different way. But it's not like the entire category of foods. Maybe it's just this one thing or this one experience that's tied to a lot of other things myself to really be able to, to sit with and find a new path with that doesn't have to be sort of automatic magical I can do anything now because I'm just so intuitive I hear up yes people yes. say that like it's just magic like it's not really magic it's Although, not it's nuanced it's kind of magic that we can trust our bodies and it works and <laughs> yeah and it's not like that for everyone yeah, it's not like that for everyone. You're you're so right. Like every every individual person, we always have to be mindful of like fix-alls, right? Like the things we're like, oh yes, just do this thing and then your life will be perfect. Like let's not make intuitive eating that thing, right? <laughs> intuitive eating isn't here to like solve all of your problems. Um, I, I do think it's a, a path back to yourself and a path back to trust, but like that's going to be so nuanced for each individual person. Absolutely, absolutely. And it is that sort of if we think about healing that relationship between our, our ourselves and food and body image, we do discover it's so it's more about so much more than just eating in a certain way or loving the way your body looks uh, that we tend to sort of oversimplify it. So in, in your experience and in your in your life and in your practice, how is how is 
healing around food and body image benefited other areas of life for you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Something that I, that I'll say a lot of times is like body image healing can be a gateway back to ourselves, right? It's like to a sense of like deeper homecoming and connection to ourselves and, and what we want to be putting out into the world. And I have a program that I run with my business partner and fellow like anti-diet and body image coach, Julie Olamacher. It's called Homecoming actually. And we are just rounding out our first chapter of that program. It's an eight month program. And it's really incredible to see what these women who've gone through it are actually stepping into now, right? Like for them, for some of them, yeah, like there's some body stuff that still needs to be worked through. Again, we're not going into magical thinking, but what what each of them have created is such a sense of trust in themselves. Again, if we can go back to trust, so much of it is about trust in the self. And they're asking questions around, well, you know, what career path do I actually really want to choose? Like one of them specifically has been in a career that she's like really good at right? And she's, you know, she's got a good title and she's got a good salary and she's been doing it for a while. She's like the go-to person. She's like, I don't know if this is fulfilling for me, right? And through doing this work, she's like, well, actually, like, I'm going to open myself up to like doing, and she's like, I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to open myself up to a new career, right? Um, Another one's opening herself up to like starting a business. For other clients, it's been about how they dress themselves, how they're actually like putting themselves out into the world and presenting themselves in alignment with like their own unique style and their own unique expression because they're trusting themselves. And, and then for me personally, in terms of just like confidence in myself to actually be able to like have a conversation with people and speak, public speak, speak in front of groups of people, like that kind of stuff. I really, before doing this work, like was like, I would, I would actually black out when I would do public speaking, like literally blackout, leave my body entirely. And like, yeah, for me now, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, like if you had told, you know, seven or eight years ago that I would be sitting here doing a podcast interview with someone and and not feel this like, oh my God, what do they think of me? Like that, like I would, I would have told you you're nuts. Right. (laughs) But So like for me personally, that that's what it's given me. And, And I just see so many of those trends for, for like clients that I work personally with, or like other women who have done this work where it just opens up the sense of like, okay, now I have my energy and brain space back from diet culture, from the shame. What do I actually want to do with it now? And it's just like a whole host of possibility. Oh, that is, it's, it's just such a whole new world, right? There's so much opportunity in, in that space of, of self and connection to self. And, and I, in your practice, and, and we've been doing it in our conversation, you encourage clients to relate to their bodies, not as things, but as human beings and referring to the body as not as it, but as she or using pronouns, which is, is fabulous. It's really a, an interesting way to think about that. Tell us about that, what that shift means to you and, and to clients who have adopted it. Yeah. Yeah. So we also know with a lot of the the struggles that we have and how we see our bodies, it's because we are in a place of objectification, right? We're comparing our bodies to somebody else's body. We're comparing our bodies to these unrealistic expectations of beauty and thinness and all of that kind of stuff. And we're going into this place of self-objectification, right? We're looking at ourselves from an external lens in versus actually being bodied and looking at a, like out at the world through our own eyes. And so what I found has been really beneficial for, again, for me and the clients that I work with is like, how do we actually start to relate to our bodies as 
human beings, not objects, right? Human beings that don't exist merely for the viewing pleasure of others. Because in fact, like the way that you look is the way that you look, but it's also like not that important. <laughs> it's not the most interesting thing about you. You have so much more to offer than the way that you look. And so moving away from language like, oh, my body is a vessel or a vehicle or a temple or a machine or anything, any sort of like objectifying word as I encourage my clients to move away from and really relate to their bodies as she, he, they, however they identify. I generally tend to work with, with women. So that's why I say she a lot, but yeah, I mean that so many people still just relate to their bodies as it. (laughs) It just makes it seem so insignificant, right? And your bodies are, our bodies are not insignificant. But when, what happens when they start to relate to their bodies in that way, it's like, oh, I can actually have dialogue with her now, right? I actually um, can speak more gently to her. It's so much harder to be like, I hate X or I like I, to speak really negatively of our bodies when we're using our pronouns. Like that, that's just like what, what I've noticed for myself and what I see with my clients. And then that goes back to like, if our bodies are our partners, right? Our partners that are doing this life with us, that are actually carrying this life. That's such a gift, right? Well, we're going to be in a partnership with a human, right? And we're going to relate to them as a human being, as like, yeah, like that, that person that we love so dearly and that we trust and that we respect. And, and yeah, like all of that, all of those things, trust, respect, love, go into making that healthy partnership. And I just feel like when we call our bodies by our pronouns, that just tends to naturally happen. It, it is. It's, it's a beautiful concept. It strikes me of some people refer to their eating disorder by a name or an acronym or ad or, or something else that we tend to um, sometimes name the things that are unhelpful in our lives. What if we name the things that are helpful? I can imagine some people might even take that and, and name their body something else if that's what works for them. And Yeah. But really to be thinking about it as a as a partnership that I think of a lot of the body image activities that we do and sort of body uh, support kinds of things we do, it shows up a lot in terms in our, in our language. And, and you're right. It's, it's a, makes it much more of a two way street, right? If we personalize it and make it, you know, that concept really part of ourselves and part of that relationship, because you're right. We relate with other other people, it's, it's harder to relate with an it and have a relationship yes, with an it. Exactly, yes, exactly, exactly. And like we even call our dogs right. by their pronouns, right? Our cats by our pronoun, our hamsters by our pronoun. Like why would, why would we not call our bodies by the same? Absolutely. I was thinking of that when you were talking, like we always refer to our dog by her pronoun. And I'm not sure she has a good grasp of that, but just, yeah. You know. I can't imagine not doing it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. What other, what other ways of thinking or, or shifts in the thinking or strategies have you been thinking about that we could use to better connect with, with bodies in a world that's just conditioned us and continues con- to condition us in so many ways to disconnect, to really focus instead on that connection? Mm, yeah, I would say that this is such a good question. The first thing that comes to mind is embodiment. And, and, and this can be a little bit more of an advanced move for someone if they've experienced trauma or they're super disconnected from their bodies. But when we're focused, like body image is like the surface level, right? That's like skin deep, how we're seeing ourselves. But embodiment work is about how we actually start to live life as a body, right? And embodiment doesn't just have to be like, I think a lot of mainstream culture makes embodiment just seem like it's like sexy dancing now. And it's like, that's, 
that's not all that embodied. Like it can be, like it certainly can. I love to dance, right? And I use that in this embodiment practice, but that's not all embodiment is. I mean, embodiment is getting attuned to different messages that our bodies are sending us, different sensations. So like hunger is embodiment. Thirst is embodiment. Tiredness is embodiment, right? And so another another aspect of relating to the body that I work on with my clients is how do we, I feel like I've said trust 1000 times, but <laughs> it's so much of it is beyond just hunger, right? Like how do we actually start to trust our body's need for rest in a culture that's so obsessed with productivity and output, right? How do we trust our bodies when they need to go to the bathroom, right? Like I, I know for myself personally, like getting up to go to the bathroom during a meeting or whatever it might be, like, even though I really, really had to go, it felt like it was rude or, you know, I was interrupting or whatever it might be. But like, you know, in working with clients recently, like I've seen them unapologetically be like, I need to go to the bathroom in a session. And I'm like, yes, yes, you do. Like go to the bathroom, trust that body sensation, right? Like that's you being in your sovereignty, in your body, trusting your body's needs. Like that is such a power move right there in our bodies to just be like, this is what my body's telling me. I'm going to respond to it and I'm going to trust it. Um, and so I would say like, again, like that, that can be a little bit more of an advanced move, but it's something that I feel like, okay, if you've done a lot of body image work, right, to go that layer deeper in relating to our bodies, it's like, how do I actually like live in this body and like treat her as a person? <laughs> and that means responding to her needs. Absolutely. It, it is, it, it strikes me that there's so many influences on how we think about it and how we find new tools and you know, we talk a lot about social media and how to think about social media and helpful social media and maybe a little bit less helpful social media. What advice do you give to the clients you work with in terms of they really thinking through their exposure and their, you know, how they're curating their own sites and what they're responding to, what they're seeking out? Tell us a little bit about that dialogue. Yeah, I, I feel like social media can be such an incredible tool for healing. And, and like, that might be a, a controversial thing to say, because like social media is on the chopping block a lot and yeah, I have my own issues with it for sure. But I, I, you know, I do invite my clients to really curate their feed in a way that doesn't trigger them into constantly comparing their bodies to other people's bodies. Um, so like filling their, their feed with diversity, I'll usually give them a list of like accounts that I follow that are, that I find to be really engaging and really like, wow, these are people who are living their lives unapologetically in the bodies that they're in today and allowing that to be inspiration, right? And so that's that's where I, I sort of guide my clients, but also in, in a private coaching session, I think it can be even really helpful to notice stories that come up around certain bodies. And so if they bring like a photo that they found on social media to a session of like this person's body triggered me, right? This this person's body made me compare myself. That's actually really valuable information for us to explore why, right? Like, where is there some internalized fat phobia? Where are we buying into these like, you know, hierarchies of like some bodies are good bodies, right? What are you believing is possible for that person's body that's not possible for you? And that can give us really, really good information, but I don't invite them to do that on their own, right? Because <laughs> they might spot, at least in the beginning phases of the work. But yeah, like the, the triggers can be really good information for deeper healing and exploration. Absolutely. I, it makes me think, you know, a lot of, a lot of people listen to, to this podcast and many others and other, other sources of information. And, and I think 
people sometimes think like, hmm, yeah, that sounds great. You know, sure, that's fantastic. Sounds terrific, Holly. That's awesome for you or have at it. That's never going to happen for me. I'm never going to be able to have that kind of relationship with my body. What would you say to somebody who might be thinking that right now listening? Yeah, I mean, I've certainly heard that before. This like, and, and, and I'll even have clients who say that, like, oh, that's possible for them, but it's not possible for me. And like, I actually tease one of my clients who, who goes into this space sometimes. And I always say, well, what makes you so special? <laughs> what makes you so special? But that's true for everybody else, but it's not true for you. Right. So that's sort of just like, I'm kidding there. Like for those of you who are really thinking that right now, I want to say, I get it. Like, I get why you feel that way in, in a culture that has conditioned us from day one of being here on planet Earth, that our worth is equated with the way that we look. I understand why you feel that way. And my hunch is you wouldn't be listening to a podcast like, like this, <laughs> piecemeal, or, you know, following the Emily program if there wasn't a part of you that knew that you wanted to at least have a different experience of your body. And can we tune into that part of you that's like hopeful, right? Can we turn it, tune into that part of you that wants this? Can we tune into this part of you that, that actually like believes that this could be possible for you? Even if it's like the tiniest little speck of dust, right? That's actually all we need to start seeing you make incremental, very, very small changes into how you're relating to your body that could yield, you know, tremendous results. And like, I think Jillian, to that point, because these are like sound bites, right? Like you're, you're getting like, you know, 45 minutes of, of my story and like little snippets of my client's story. And, and I'm sharing things that are like magical and delightful and miraculous, right? But like, there's stuff that we got to go through to get there. And I think what a lot of people who might fall into that space perhaps are getting overwhelmed with the end result, right? The end result is something that feels really unattainable, really unachievable, really far off, right? And so it's like you're, they're, they're going from like point A to point Z with skipping the letters in between. And we, we don't have to do that, right? We can, st we can go from A to, to B, right? And so starting small and not getting really attached to like, well, it has, it's going to have to look like that, or I have to get to that point in order for it to be successful. Even if you have the experience of like, actually listening to your hunger a little bit more than you don't, that's a success, right? So I think we also have to like redefine the, yeah, the outcomes of this work. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for that. It is, I love what you said about that, just the littlest, tiny little, little bit of, you know, spark, a little, little tiny bit of, of sand, a little tiny bit of just a little tiny something because that can grow and it can, it can develop and it doesn't have to just suddenly become magically better. Yes, exactly. It really is the, the process that is so meaningful and full of learning and can get a little bit better. It, it might not get all the way better tomorrow, next week, next year, but a little bit better could feel a lot bit better. Yes. So a little bit, yeah, good yes. with little bits of change. <laughs> yes. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today, Holly. Tell us where, where can people learn more about you and about your work? Please share that with us. Yeah, yeah. So I would say the best place to, to get in touch with my work would be on Instagram. I'm at holly.toronto, and Toronto is literally like the Canadian city. Um, I also 
just launched my own podcast, which is really exciting. And so it's called Return to Wholeness. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And it's um, exploring all of the intersections of like diet culture, body image, and purity culture. Um, so really bringing that lens and spirituality into it as well. Oh, fantastic. Return to wholeness. I'm going to add that to my list and start to, start to listen. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us. We really, really appreciate your perspective and your wisdom and your journey and sharing that with the world. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to learn more about the Emily Program and what we do, visit emilyprogram.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Emily Program. Peace Meal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Thanks for listening.